Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your record. Lord, of the things that happened surrounding the birth of Jesus Christ. God, as we so very quickly uh, turn our minds and our society and culture, turn itself away from Christmas, God, uh, the burden of my heart this morning is that real life comes back so fast and hits so hard. Oh God, and I pray that you would prepare us as good soldiers, oh Lord, to face the trials that are ahead. Oh God, prepare us as obedient children, oh Lord, to heed your word and to receive the blessings thereby. God, I pray that you would help us to be prayerful. Lord, as we, as Sean saying just a minute ago, to be honest. God, in bringing our faults and failures and petitions and cares before you. God, we look forward to the blessing and the privilege of walking forward through the trials and difficulties of life by your direction, by faith in your sovereign will and power. God, open our eyes to that truth this morning. Lord, draw us a little closer to Yourself. Grow us a little larger in You. God, fit us, mold us, make us. Chisel away, God, us into the image of Your Son. A little more this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. As I entitled the message there, Life After Christmas, and as I prayed, it does seem to hit fast, doesn't it? Uh, it hit me faster than all of you because I had to go to work today. Y'all got one more day off, you know. You just get to come in here and sit down, show up, and leave. Yeah, Joel always gives me a hard time. Work, you know, work, yeah. Come to work. One day a week I got to go to work, and I had to complain about that. But it does hit fast, and just kind of reading uh, through and around and, and thinking on the, the sermon for today, I thought about Mary and Joseph when Christmas was over, and how life hit them fast in the last couple of verses there uh, of Matthew chapter 2. There are many reactions to Jesus, and I want to kind of walk you through coming up to verse 13, uh, but most of you, I believe, have heard the story of the wise men. They come uh, to worship Jesus. They are searching for Christ uh, but as they arrive in verse 1, most of Jerusalem is unaware of Him at all. Most of the world is unaware of, of Jesus. Bethlehem, if you really stop and think and contemplate what the Bible tells us, Bethlehem should have been very aware of Jesus. They had the visit from the, shepherd, or visit from the angels to the shepherds, and the shepherds made known abroad the saying. And Bethlehem heard it, but all they did was wonder about it. Then you have the arrival of the wise men that I don't believe was a small affair in a little town like Bethlehem. I imagine it uh, like it would be uh, some uh, 70, 80 years ago when the parade would come down Main Street and the whole town would stop because there were visitors there, something majestic, something wonderful, something out of the ordinary, and everybody would stop and take notice. I believe that's much like the arrival of these wise men. I don't think there was a lot of excuse for Bethlehem not to know about what had happened in their little town in, in Bethlehem. But Jerusalem, the big neighboring city next door, 
they're largely unaware of what is going on. And I, I know that much of the world is largely unaware of what is going on in Jesus Christ. The trunk or treat, we always try to encourage you to put in a Bible story or a, an attribute of God, something to be a lesson to the kids that come around. And it was surprising to me a couple of years ago how many kids from right around our little circle came through, and ours was the nativity scene, and couldn't describe the story of the angel to the shepherds, didn't know who the wise men were, some not even knowing who the babe in, a man, in the manger was. And our world is largely unaware of who Jesus is and what He offers and what His coming on Christmas was all about. But then you have the wise men. The joke around my house has been for a couple of weeks now for no good reason to burst into a room with great triumph and at the same time incredible reservation and go, Wise men still seek him. And that's it. And that's it. We just with just an inside joke that we enjoy for no good reason. We look at one another and go, ha ha ha, you know, it's like that the little, you know, silly line in the play, you know, that the nervous little kid has his one line and that's, you know, he puts it out there. Wise men still seek him. But it's true, right? It's it's cliche, but it's it's overused, but it's true. You have the wise men in verse two. And as we, I alluded to somewhat last week, and we're not going to jump into it again today, but you have the shepherds who are near receiving the direct word of God, right, from the angels. But then you have the wise men who come from so far, without a direct word, but with a sign that draws them, that pulls them, to come and to find out and to seek out this king and worship him. So the wise men who are seeking to worship him. Then you have Herod, who is troubled and seeking information with which to arm himself. Right? There are those that are troubled at the idea of a Christ. There are those that are troubled at the idea of sin and judgment and a Savior and a cross. And they want to arm themselves with information for defense. To make themselves feel better. To justify their position. I've sat with many of those. There are the chief priests who know the Word. You think about verse 4. He has to gather these chief priests. It's not like Herod had in his court priests. He didn't want priests in his court. He goes and he seeks out from among the Jews their chief priests and says, Hey, what is going on here? And you can look at this a couple of ways. The chief priests, number one, they rat out the Christ. <laughs> think about it that way. But at the same time, they know where he is to be born. They're aware of these wise men that are seeking him out. But they don't go follow. They have no desire to go and seek him. I'm afraid that our churches may be full of folks who know the word, who know the truth, who know of Christ, who know all the stories, but have no desire to seek him out. No desire to follow Him. No desire to fall down and worship Him. Aware of Him, yes. In church on Sunday, maybe so, yes. But there's no following, there's no worship. And the wise men who, having found Him, rejoice 
worship Him and give gifts to Him in verse 11. Many reactions we find through this chapter. I want you to consider Joseph and Mary's Christmas in all of this. Again, I'm laying groundwork for context, I hope anyway. There's a difficult journey recorded in Luke late in Mary's pregnancy that takes them away from home. We were talking this morning about traveling on Christmas Day and how nice it was that the roads were just wide open, you know, to fly up here. I have sat on Christmas Day for an hour longer than I was supposed to because of traffic. That's not Christmas to me. I don't know about to you. That's not Christmas to me. Mary and Joseph began their Christmas by traveling when they didn't want to travel, pregnant. There's government imposition of a census and taxation that creates such a stir in Bethlehem that there was no room for this pregnant couple about to give birth. There's the eighth day circumcision of Jesus. There's the 40th day visit to Jerusalem that's met by prophecy and blessing. We have the record of that in Luke 2. I'm, I'm lumping all this into Christmas. This was their Christmas trip. My Christmas was about three days long this year. It's been longer and years gone by. Some of you might have just had one day or two days or three days. You may have more today or tomorrow. I don't know. I believe theirs lasted more than 40 days, this trip. Mary had to go for her purification there and stayed in Bethlehem near to Jerusalem. And, and now they get this visit from the wise men or the magi. They come bearing gifts. And the completion of what God has for them in Bethlehem has come to a close. Right? We look back with 2020 hindsight vision, knowing that God had a plan and God had a purpose in, in uprooting them from Nazareth, bringing them to Bethlehem, leaving them there for these many days until the visit of the wise men is kind of the last capping thing on their journey. They hope. They think. We learn in verse 13 that as soon as, or long at, not long after, the wise men have departed, an angel appears to Joseph with a command, with knowledge that Joseph didn't have, and a command for Joseph to do something he didn't plan to do and didn't want to do. But I want you to know is that your life is not as you would plan it. Know that. Know that. Life is not what we would plan it to be. We're not all-knowing. We're not sovereign. And thank God that we're not in charge. And things haven't gone according to our plan. And would anybody say amen with me on that? And we know that about the past of our lives, but what about the future of our lives? The tomorrow of our days? Life is not as you would plan it. Life is not going to go according to plan. The visit there to Joseph says, Take the young child and his mother and flee to Egypt and stay there until I bring word to you for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. 
And so he gets up, I believe, in the night. I believe that same night. When he arose, he departs by night. He gets up and he flees. I imagine thankful for the gold and the frankincense and the myrrh that has just been delivered to him that will probably support them there in Egypt. What a great sacrifice. I was talking to the teenagers a couple of weeks ago and talking to them about when I felt like God was uh, calling me into full-time ministry, when God was kind of wrapping my head around to the truth and the fact that my life was not going as planned because in no way was I following Him with it. And we talked about and kind of joked a little bit about the last thing that any Christian wants to be is to be called to be a missionary. Right? Isn't that about the last thing you'd want God to ask you to do? Leave home, leave here, leave what you know, leave what you have, go away and be a missionary somewhere else. That's like the worst. Right? Africa. Everybody puts Africa on there. God through his messenger, visits Joseph and says, you got to take off to Egypt. But the purpose is for the life of the child. I ask, what would you not do to save the life of your own child? Right? Is there anything that you're like, well, no, that's too much. I wouldn't do that if it would save my child's life. I, no good parent has anything on that list. That's a blank list. It's an empty list. I was thinking about how we give our lives to many different people. My parents have given their lives to me. To raise me. To provide for me. I, in turn, have given my lives to my children. To provide for them. To work and to labor and to earn, to feed them and protect them and shelter them. There's nothing I wouldn't do for them, giving my life to them. As I stood at the altar almost 17 years ago, I gave my life to my wife. Right? But when my wife says, hey, the oil light came on in the van, I don't say, well, maybe next Thursday I've got some time in my schedule I can get to it. You know, I'll pick it up around 2. I'll send you the bill. Right? I don't not how that works I've given my life to her and she in turn has given her life to me we understand that in a smaller way I've given my life to some of you and some of you have given your life to me we've given our lives to one another things that we wouldn't necessarily do or give just to anyone any stranger I believe what we see here is that you must give your life to Christ in order to receive His life. Matthew 16, if you want to turn with me, you can. I'll read it for you. Matthew 16, 25. Oh, good. I went to the wrong chapter. Matthew 16, 25. I was afraid I wrote it down wrong. For whosoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. I'm not making this up. These are the words of Christ. He says, hey, if you're willing to lose your life for my sake, then you'll find life. But if you try to withhold your life from me, then you'll not receive my life. 
We like the rosy side of asking Jesus into our hearts. We like the rosy side of receiving eternal life from Him. But we forget the very words of Christ that are here in Matthew chapter 16 or in other places where He says, If you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father who is in heaven. There's a marriage between us and Christ. Where we must give our lives to Him if we are going to receive life from Him. If we retain our lives from Him and say, no, this is my life. And when I talk about giving your life, this is not some, this is not some essence of giving your life. This is true, decision, life-changing, life-giving. Right? To give your life to Christ is to live your days, to make your decisions, to go certain ways and say certain things and do certain things and act out certain things and not do other things. We're much bigger on the nots than we are on the R's. What we are supposed to do. We are, we must give our lives for Christ. When Mary said, be it unto me, as you have said, and when Joseph, hearing the message from the angel, decided not to put her away but to marry her, they had decided at that point to give their lives to this child. To give their lives to Christ. Not knowing what would be asked of them. In the same way, you have given your life to Christ not knowing what will be asked of you. But fully believing in His Word and in His promises that His life for you is better than the life that you would make for yourself. Going to our story here in Matthew. God provides... Having trouble this morning with my numbers. God provides supernatural protection through very natural means. The Word of God comes to Joseph. Joseph, in obedience, goes to Egypt, and God, through very natural circumstances, right? Why, didn't, why wasn't Jesus killed by Herod? Because an angel with a flaming sword stood before Bethlehem, Right? That'd be cool, wouldn't it? I'd be all about that. That'd be a neat story after the Christmas play. Let's do that one. Everybody wants to be the angel with the flaming sword. Get us some battery-powered LED lights on that sword, man. We're doing something. It's not what God chooses to do, is it? Don't discount what God does for us just because God doesn't fly down with an angel with a flaming sword in order to do it. I think of the testimony that Brother Allred gave a couple of weeks ago in the windstorm where the tree fell in front of his vehicle and he had to slam on brakes. God protected and spared his life. And we all have stories like that. Things where God has protected us, but what you need to know and understand is that God does that for you every second of every day. His protection is always on you. Nothing will ever befall you that is not in His plan or in His purpose for you. Do not discount the involvement 
of God when He chooses to use natural means to protect you in supernatural ways. And then verse 15. They were there in Egypt until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I called my son. We know that God's plan for Jesus was not thrown together at the last second. Right? We have the prophecy. Proof that God had a plan from the beginning. Know that God's plan for you is also from the beginning. God's plan for you is from the beginning. No less than His plan for Jesus Christ, His plan for you was from the beginning. Was before the foundation of the world itself. Take comfort in that. Take peace in that. And know that as life is not as you would plan it to be, God in heaven has a plan, has always had a plan. He's not working on the fly. He's not trying to figure out how to get around some obstacle or problem. He has it all figured out. And all things are, always have been, and will continue to always work for your good. That's great. That's absolutely fantastic. He has a purpose for you to mold you and to make into the image of His Son. And everything that ever comes through and disrupts your plans are for that purpose and to that end. So when life takes a turn, offers an obstacle that you would not choose, that is not a part of your plan, know that God has a purpose in it. Know that God may be protecting you from something that you can never even imagine. The butterfly effect of our lives are, we can't conceive them. They're inconceivable. Know, believe, trust, have faith. God is protecting you from something you don't even know about. Life is not as we would plan. The world is a wicked place. The world's a wicked place. I assume most of you are like me. I live in a nice little bubble. I don't even know how to be full in my gratitude for the life that God has blessed me to lead. And I know your heart is the same as mine. Nothing shakes me more than to think that my little bubble might get popped. Nothing concerns me more. Nothing bothers me more. Nothing pops in my mind before when something comes into my path that disrupts my plan. Nothing pops into my mind before the idea of, is this going to affect my little bubble? You might not use those terms, might not think of it in that way, but how is this going to burst my happy, happy, joy, joy, fun time that I get to live in? The world is a wicked, wicked place. This story, I believe, for good reason, or not for good reason, but I, I believe for a reason, 
is left out of the Christmas narrative because we'd rather not confront the effects of sin in the world. We leave this out of the Christmas narrative. You know, Christmas time, we really jump into the shepherds and the wise men and the visit of the angels. Maybe we even go all the way back to Elizabeth and, and John the Baptist, you know, and we study out Isaiah and some of the prophecies. And Rarely do we move on to their flight to Egypt and the wailing and the lamentation and the barbar- barbarous murder of the infants in Bethlehem. I preached a couple of years ago a message of how Christ entered into war. Christmas is the story of war. War between God and man. War between men. Sin and wickedness having overtaken us, putting us as enemies against God, and God sends His Son to be our Savior. To bring peace in the war. We'd rather deny there's a war than confront the war. That's what the song this morning the boys sang is all about. I I say I'm fine. Yeah, I'm fine. Oh, I'm fine. But I'm not. And I wonder why it's so hard to admit it when being honest is the only way to fix it. It's bothersome that we can go through life not needing Christ. Too many of my days, I go through my day and any outside observer would arrive at the conclusion that that man has it all figured out and he can do what he has to do to get his stuff done and he doesn't really need Christ. We live like that. We pretend like that. When I ask you, what are you praying about right now and your mind is blank, you're living like that. I'm living like that. Because if we believe the the truth and we are leaning on God, our minds and hearts will be full of all the things that we're trusting Him for and asking Him for and praying to Him for. The problem is we've built our little bubbles and we don't like to confront the sin and wickedness that's in this world affecting those that we're called to love. And the sin that beats down on us we've learned to live with and be okay with. The evil man, and Herod typifies this, the evil man will stop at nothing to keep himself king of his personal domain. And I'm concerned that sometimes, far too often, I am that evil man. More desiring of security. More desiring of status quo. 
more desiring of the safety of routine than looking for God to do something. That's sin. The chief priest killed Jesus so that he wouldn't tear down their little religious hierarchy. God, however, is watching and aware of the evil in this world. Some would want to read this record and say, well, where was God at? How could God let that happen? God has never pretended to overcome the will of man that He gave Him in the garden. God does promise that nothing will befall His children that, as I already said, is not good for them and best for them to bring Him glory. God chooses to send a messenger to protect His Son Jesus, but how many martyrs have died in the name of Christ? Protecting Jesus here because His hour had not yet come for Him to be baptized with that martyrdom. Never believe that God is unaware. Never believe that God is out of control. Know that God allows man to go his way. He will always, always take care of us as is according to His will. Listen, I can't stand up here and promise you a lot of things that you'd like to be promised this morning. But I can promise you that whatever God allows will be for your good according to His purpose. Now, if your purpose isn't aligned with His purpose, your definition of good is not the same as His definition of good. And I don't blame you for it. Because we're all there. But know that He will provide a way of escape in the right time, and in the right time, bring justice. There's no temptation, but as such as is common to you, and He will make a way for you to bear it. Right? And in the right time, He will bring justice. Here in verse 19, Herod dies. I believe a short time. Historians believe a short time after this record. And God's judgment comes upon Herod. We don't have specific record of that, but we know it to be true, don't we? We know the Word of God to be true. Herod falls under a judgment far greater than the death of these infants. What is notable is that in this wicked place, Jesus came to offer that evil man opportunity to surrender to grace before the day of judgment comes. You can get bogged down in this, you can get concerned over this, you can begin to wonder and worry, how can this be so that we can live in a sinful and wicked and evil world? Where is God at? What is He doing? Jesus Christ, born under those circumstances, in that condition, came as an offering of peace to that evil man. And the flesh within us says, don't offer that evil man peace until we're reminded by the Holy Spirit that I am that evil man. 
And Jesus comes as an offering, as an opportunity for grace and surrender. So know that life will not go as planned. Know that the world is a wicked place. But know lastly that God has a plan and a place for you. Verse 19, when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. I, I can't help but look at my own life and recognize seasons in my life. Right? Just because seasons change doesn't mean that that season was for naught. Just because seasons change doesn't mean that the things that that happened to you, the things that you learned in that season, now are not applicable. Far from it. We take them with us and we grow from them as we move into the next season. I don't know how long Joseph waited in Egypt. Knowing God, I can imagine that it was probably really close to the gold running out, right? Because that's what God does to us. So that we don't learn to lean on gold, but we learn to lean on God. But however the season was, and however long the season lasted, that is really fairly unimaginable for us. Uh, is you, when you get into this, you, you want so many, much more detail. How long were they there? Did they live off the gold? Did, they, you know, did, did Joseph you know, find a way to start, a, start you know, working with the wood and, and make a little money? I don't, you know, I don't know what happened there in the foreign land of Egypt. But it was in the season of Egypt that God comes with His word, I have a place for you. I know that you wanted to go to that place months ago, but it wasn't time. That place wasn't ready yet. The time was not then. My word must be fulfilled. So he says, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel for those who sought the young child's life are dead. Notice that God is directing through His Word to Joseph. Through the Word of God, Joseph is receiving protection along with Mary and Jesus. Through the Word of God, Joseph is being provided for along with his family. And through the Word of God, Joseph is receiving direction to live by. Are you with me? Are you catching the practicalities of what is happening to Joseph? Joseph is a model of obedience enabling enabling him to be a humble recipient. Verse 14, When he arose, he took the child and his mother. Verse 21, Then he arose and took the child and his mother. Verse 23, and he came and dwelt in the city called Nazareth. Joseph is being obedient, which enables him to be a humble recipient of God's protection and provision. We love to rejoice over the protection and provision of God, but we don't necessarily love to rejoice over practicing obedience. Right? The protection and the provision doesn't come apart from the obedience. 
God says do this, but if we do that, we're not getting a blessing. Right? That's as simple to understand as looking at a two-year-old. Don't touch that thing. And he touches the thing. I don't go, okay, well, you touch the thing, here's a cookie. Right? Obedience is rewarded. I cannot reward disobedience. God cannot reward disobedience. Joseph, being obedient, still goes through his season in Egypt. Still goes through his trials. Don't don't think that that's the way life goes. The story does not read, and Joseph was obedient, and so his life was rosy and merry and easy. doesn't read that. It does read that as Joseph faced this thing, and Joseph faced that thing, and Joseph had concern over whether to go here or go there, God revealed to him His Word, and Joseph obeyed for His protection and provision. And that's the way the story of our lives have the opportunity to read. As you face trial and trouble and difficulty and confusion, as you seek God for direction, you can be obedient to His Word. And He will protect you and He will provide for you as He sees fit. That's magnificent. That's wonderful. I've said it many times and I say it again. You think of, of so many that went through the fire, if you will. Let's, let's think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They wouldn't trade the opportunity to be in the fire with Jesus for the opportunity of never have faced the fire. And those of you that can look back on the fiery trials of your life where you have walked hand in hand with Christ through them, you wouldn't trade those for luxury or pleasure. You wouldn't trade them in the past. God help us have sense enough that we wouldn't trade them in the future. That's where it gets hard. God help us that we wouldn't be willing to trade here in the now. That's where it gets hard. Learning not to cry out, Jesus alleviate me, but Jesus be with me. Here. Where you have me. Jesus, I'll be obedient to you until you lead me to the next thing. Finally, Joseph ends up... I find find the reading strange here and I couldn't get any help on it. Verse 23, And he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth. If you read that and hadn't read Luke 2, you might wonder where Joseph was originally from. Anybody with me on that? Am I the only one reading into this? Sounds weird. If I came from Graham and had to go to, oh, Greensboro, you know, big city, and then was able to return to a city called Graham, I find that reading strange. Joseph ends up back at home in Nazareth, as God always knew He would. Are you willing to be honest and put yourself in Joseph's shoes? I don't know if I'll ever get back home. I don't know if we'll ever get where we ought to be. 
I don't know if we're going to be here in Egypt forever. We're we're going to spend the rest of our lives, as long as Jesus lives, on the run from people who want to to kill Him. We go to a a sad little quiet city of Bethlehem, and God's telling people where we are and uncovering us before Herod. And as long as nobody knew where he was, it was no danger. As soon as somebody finds out, here comes Herod trying to kill him. Joseph's probably my all in kind of all, all kinds of turmoil, and God all the while has a plan and a place for him. Do you believe that God has a plan and a place for you? Don't separate yourself to think God has a plan and a place for Jesus. God had a plan and a place for people in the Bible. God had a, has a plan and a place for preachers. God has a plan and a place and a purpose for every one of His children. Absolutely every one of us. It is complete. It is full. It is good for you. And in due time, you will arrive in the place that He has for you, but know that as you are on the journey, that's part of His place for you as well. It's not as though God looked at Joseph and said, I I just got to get him to Nazareth. Okay, wait here, now move there. All these things are distracting from where I wish you could be, but until then I can't get you there. That's not what God's done. Do you understand what I'm saying? God is growing them and using them. God is teaching them and helping them. God is equipping them until the time that He brings them to the time and the place that He has for them. I want you to notice one last thing. All their movements and decisions were about Jesus. All of their movements, all of their decisions, all of the Word was about Jesus. If you're waiting on direction from the Word of God, if you're waiting on direction through prayer on how you can be richer or move up in your workplace or or whatever else it may be, that nudge, that direction is not what God is interested in telling you or teaching you. God is interested in teaching you and helping you and directing you in regards to His Son, Jesus. That should be the center of your life. That should be the center of your focus. That should be the center of your concern. It would only be in Joseph's sin-sick mind that he would be worried about his business back home while he's trying to take care of Jesus there in running to Egypt. Are you with me? Because Jesus is the most important thing, most central thing in their lives. And Jesus and your relationship with Jesus is the most central and important thing in your life. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things, they'll be added to you. The Gentiles seek after all these things. The sinful mind thinks that I seek from God all these things to be added to me. It's the Holy Spirit-filled mind. It's the, the, the mind that loves and desires Christ that says, God, I will seek you. I will follow your word and direction towards you and my relationship with you in obedience towards you and I will allow you to add all the things that you so desire to add or to not add. 
all their movements, all God's Word, was centralized around Jesus. Think of the parable of the sower. And the cares of life come and choke out the Word. It's so easy for us with our jobs and our hobbies and our ball games and our entertainment. So easy for us to let the central relationship to Christ, the gospel in our lives get choked out by everything else that we got to do. God's Word is not trying to tell us how to be the best American, achieve the best American dream, get the best situation for ourselves. It is directing us towards a relationship with Christ. That ought to be the focus and the care of our hearts. As the dust settles from Christmas and we move towards a new year, know, know, God absolutely has a plan and a place for you. Some of you, I believe, are wholly seeking that plan. I believe that. I know that. Some of you, I fear, may not be seeking that plan or that purpose. Oh, you're seeking a plan. You're seeking a purpose. But is it God's plan? Is it God's purpose? Know as you seek His way, His way will not be your way, and you will run into evil opposition. But know that nothing surprises God, and He will be all you need as you walk in obedience to Him. As you walk away from Christmas, don't leave Christ behind. As you walk into the new year, don't set your affections on everything else except for Jesus. We prayed from Psalm 27. One thing I have desired of the Lord that I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. David says, I hope for one thing, to abide in your presence, to see you in all your beauty and glory, and to learn of you and to grow in you. That's all David wanted. That ought to be the prayer of our hearts. As we go forward seeking Christ and following Christ, don't let disruption of your plans disrupt your walk with Him. Don't let evil opposition that is certain to come, especially if you're seeking Christ, deter you from following Him. Let's all stand, heads bowed and eyes closed. I just want you to take time, pray and reflect God may not tell you what His plan and place and purpose is for you. God didn't lay it all out for Joseph at the very beginning as they ran 
from Bethlehem to Egypt. He simply said, stay there until I tell you the next step. Man, that's the hardest thing to do. To stay there until you hear the next step. And the way to do that in overcoming joy is to have faith that when the next step comes in the course of time, He's going to give it to you. He won't withhold any good thing. He won't withhold not one single good thing from those who walk uprightly, who seek after Him, who love Him, just want to be obedient to Him. I can imagine in Joseph's situation, all he wanted to know was, God, what do I do now? Oh God, help me know what to do now. And my burden is that we have constructed our lives in such a way that we can go far too many days without an earnest desire to know what God wants us to be doing now. I just want you to take time to reflect and pray. She plays through another verse.